Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Hello and welcome to an all-new installment of Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network, live from the Jim Plunkett Studios in the heart of the downtown Severna Park Business District on the bucolic yet stormy western shore of Maryland. I am your host, Greg Klein, flying solo tonight. Uh, Brian Griffiths enjoying the Halloween holiday, taking some time off to be with, uh, I, do, I assume to do some trick-or-treating. So if you see him, I don't know what his costume will be this year, but uh, perhaps it will be uh, a, a golfer. You're a dork like me who likes mini golf. I encourage you to be part of the Greater Baltimore Mini Golf Tour. There you go. That's always a possibility. So if you see a, if you see Brian going around trick or treating with a with a putter, uh, you'll know what to expect. Uh, we're gonna have some fun here tonight. A lot of stuff to talk about here in Maryland politics. Uh, we're gonna have some some you know fun Halloween related bumper music. Of course, it's it's also Reformation Day, so we'll end with a nice tribute to the Reformation as as Brian has has uh, departed and the uh, ca- the I'm sorry the Catholics are gone and the Protestants are firmly in control. Um, <laughs> it's like the history of America. Anyway, that's not why you're here. Here's what we've got on tap for you tonight. Uh, Governor Hogan has issued his writ of election for the special election in the 7th Congressional District to replace Elijah Cummings. We'll break break it down for you. We've already got candidates starting to line up to run for this on both sides. A little bit of analysis on that as we go forward. Then a couple articles I want to share with you. One having to do with the rise of Senator Bill Ferguson this kind of puff piece put out by the Baltimore Sun on his rise, some interesting things to take away from it, not necessarily what the authors of the article intended, but are important uh, nonetheless. And finally, I want to share a piece, spot-on piece, from our friends over at the Maryland Public Policy Institute, uh, who are, you know, who is, that is one of, if not the leading conservative think tank here in Maryland, uh, MPPI was a part of our first leadership conference. We're happy to to support them. And gosh darn it, if they don't nail it on Kerwin and say a lot of the same things that we've been saying here for years, frankly. I'll share that with you. So all that tonight on a special Halloween slash slash Reformation Day here on the Red Mailing Network. Just a reminder, our show today... Uh, sponsored by our patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash redmaryland. If you haven't gone over and supported us, uh, please do so. We have released our first History of Red Maryland patron-exclusive podcast. So if you support us with as little as a dollar a month, you can listen to that. Brian and I came in uh, to the Jim Pluckett Studios here. We cranked out about six of these. The first one deals with the founding of Red Maryland. A lot of good stuff. I gotta tell you, uh, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to become a patron and listen to this stuff because we uh, we definitely pulled the curtain back and named names and we had a lot of fun doing it. So I hope you will become a patron and support us here at Red Maryland. Also, uh, the Red Maryland 2020 Second Annual Leadership Conference is coming up January 11, 2020. RedMarylandConference.com. Tickets are starting to move. There are plenty left, but they won't last forever. 
We have a huge list of speakers. Go to redmarylandconference.com and check that out. Multiple members of the of the state cabinet, um, you know, half a dozen, ten members of the General Assembly. We've got experts when it comes to policy, to uh, winning elections. It's going to be a fantastic conference. Uh, you, you're definitely going to want to be there. And tickets are starting to move quickly, though now is the time to buy them. Red Maryland Conference. Dot com. All right, let's get into it now. Take my visage off here of the video if you're watching on video. Thank you for doing that. Governor Hogan has issued uh, his writ of election for the special election required uh, to fill the vacancy created by the death of Elijah Cummings. Let me set it up a little bit because some people I know don't know this. The United States Constitution requires that when there is a vacancy in the House of Representatives, that that vacancy is filled by a special election. That is very different, obviously, than the way that we fill legislative vacancies here in Maryland. So that is why there is a difference, because the Constitution says so, which is always a good reason. As we talked about last week, the governor waited until after all, until after Congressman Cummings was laid to rest and his memorials were taken care of. Uh, Brian has a great piece about how our local county executive here in Anne Arundel County tried to make him about it, make it about himself in a rather extraordinary narcissistic, even for local politicians, um, piece that that our accidental county executive wrote. I urge you to check that out. It's just read it. I mean, Brian didn't even have to write anything. Just just post what the guy said. It's insane. But anyway, all of that Michigas is behind us now. Now we look forward to the special election. Uh, here's here's the uh, dead here's the schedule, the deadlines at, that are part of this uh, special election. Okay, candidates who want to participate in this special election need to file. Uh, they can start to do that. They started yesterday, October thirtieth, and I think about four of them actually filed. A couple of Republicans, a couple of Democrats, more circling around. We'll talk about that here in a second. The deadline for nominations is November 20th, and the deadline to withdraw as a candidate is November 22nd. So between now and November 20th, we'll be looking at who actually gets in, who gets out. Once, once the uh, field is set in November 22nd, the special primary election will occur on February the 4th, 2020, okay, 76 days from the filing deadline, and then the special general election will occur on April 28th, 2020, the same date as the state's spring primary for the 2020 general election. Um, now, the governor points out thereby avoiding the cost and confusion of multiple and additional election days. Um, here's the thing about that. There's going to be some confusion. Uh, when I was on the radio this morning, WGMD explaining what this, what was going on, I think it was confusing. We had a caller call in and gave me the opportunity to clarify that a little bit. Here's basically what's going on. So on February 4th of 2020, there's going to be a special primary election. Now, this is a very, uh, gerrymandered district, uh, in favor of the Democrats. So you would expect that reasonably if history is any guide that the winner of that february 4th primary 
the special election primary would end up winning the seat vacated by at least, you know, until the next regularly scheduled election, which would be November. What's interesting, though, is that we have a couple Democrats who've already started to line up. Of course, we talked about uh, Maya Rockymore Cummings, the widow of the former congressman who has been expressing interest in running for this. She will be challenged. I, I had some thought that maybe some Democrats would demur to her. That seems to not be the case. Senator Jill Carter uh, had a piece in the um, left-wing, dark-money-financed, alliterative um, Maryland Matters this week, uh, ri- uh, op-ed in her favor written by well-known crazy left-wing activist uh, Richard Deshea Elliott, supporting her, Senator Carter. There are other folks still looming around, still talking about that. We'll get more information as we go along and see who actually files. But it's it's going to be a competitive race. There's still some big names who could get into it. And, of course, February 4th is not that far away, folks. It, it is... Um, it's only 76 days from the filing deadline, which is November 20th, which is, of course, is only about three weeks away. So you're talking a couple months for a special election. Now, what's interesting to me, and the reason I bring this up, is because we have, of course, the regular 2020 election for this congressional seat as well. And the primary for the regularly scheduled election for the 7th Congressional District is going to be held. The primary will be held the same day as the special election general, which means that when the primary, this is why it's important, and it's very confusing, and I, I'm hoping I can clarify this. If you are, let's say, let's do a little thought experiment here, folks. If you are a Democrat who is interested in filling Elijah Cummings' seat, and you become a candidate as a Democrat in both the special election and the regularly scheduled 2020 election, you could, and you could strategically think this way, you could have two bites at the apple, so to speak. If you, if you win in the primary, the special primary on February 4th, you're likely going to win the special general election on April 28th. However, if you were to lose on February 4th and were and were filed as the candidate for the 2020 election, you wouldn't suspend your campaign. You just keep running until April 28th. So you take another bite at the apple because you might because if you win the primary on April 28th, you're likely going to win come November. So maybe somebody else will hold this seat until 2021. But there's not going to be an incumbent in place. The seat will, the seat will still technically be vacant when Democrats choose a replacement in the regularly scheduled primary on April 28th, which means you could just keep running. For instance... Let us say that you are Senator Jill Carter. Just using a name. Just using an example here. You're Senator Jill Carter. Maya Rocky Moore Cummings also running in this primary. 
Maya Rocky Moore Cummings, because of name recognition, sympathy, what have you, wins the special primary election on February 4th. She's probably going to win the special general election on April 28th. You know that. But she's not in yet. She hasn't been elected yet. She's not the incumbent yet. If I'm Senator Jill Carter, I just keep running. I just keep my primary going and say there's another vote on April 28th for a permanent replacement, if you will. You know, February 4th just becomes round one of essentially a two-round primary election. That's the way that I would look at it. Even if I won, now let's say I'm Maya Rocky Moore Cummings and I win the special primary election. I don't let up. I go out and start talking about how I'm the presumptive um, the presumptive candidate. I go out and talk about how I'm already the presumptive nominee. I keep running that we want to make now that I've won this special election primary, now everybody else should drop out and I should be the permanent replacement. Meanwhile, if I was one of her opponents who lost in the fourth, I'd say, well, that was a special election. That's fine. But we've got a, a regular scheduled election where we're going to have more turnout, where people are going to come. Vo- people, a lot more people are going to vote on April 28th than are going to vote on February 4th. Remember, April 28th is going to be the presidential primary. And there's a and there will likely still be though we'll see, I guess, a competitive race on the Democratic side for president of the United States when voting for Democrats begins on April 28th. So there are going to be a lot more Democrats coming to the polls to vote on April 28th than would be on February 4th. A lot of voters who maybe didn't even know that there was this special primary on February 4th. So that's the real key. So what's fascinating here is that you essentially as a Democratic candidate who wants to get the seat, because you know once you're in, this is a safe district, you could stay here for a long time. If I'm running one of these campaigns that's getting into this, I'm, I'm looking at this as essentially i got to win two elections if I want to keep this seat. i got to win the special primary, and i got to win the regular primary. The general will take care of itself. I'll get to that in a second. That's the way that I would look at this, which is which makes it so fascinating because you could have somebody winning on February 4th and losing on April 28th. And the person who wins on the April 28th primary ends up being a congressman from the 7th district for the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years, who knows? And the person who won the special election, who technically filled the seat from Elijah Cummings could just be a footnote. That possibility certainly exists. And in that scenario, I'd want to be the first person who's in the seat come January 2020, 2020 or 2021, I guess, rather than the person who's there come, you know, May 1st, 2020, after the special election. I think you get my point. Now, a couple of uh, Republicans have jumped in. We talked about uh, one of them is Liz Matori, who spoke at our leadership conference last year, who was running in a different congressional race until literally until the day Elijah Cummings died. And she filed to run um, in the regularly scheduled election in the 7th Congressional District. She jumped into this race. Of course, it's important to remember, folks, you can run for a congressional seat even if you don't live in the district. 
you have to live in the state. I think you have to move to the district if you win. So who knows? I mean, uh, also filing is the very creepy Ray Bly, the perennial candidate who we interviewed years ago for some other race. Um, go back. Just just Google that guy. The only time I've ever interviewed a candidate, and I've interviewed in the time that we've been doing Red Maryland, I've done the Election Focus podcast. I've interviewed hundreds of Republican candidates, okay? Some of them are incredibly impressive. Some of them become household names now. We can say we, you know, we were one of the first people to interview them. Some of them were really great candidates who never really got their due, I thought. Some of them were, you know, well-intentioned. This guy, <laughs> this guy makes my skin crawl. The only guy I ever, I ever talked to that, uh, you know, I, I hope he's on a list somewhere. That's all I have to say. So right now, I don't think Liz Matori has, has um, and, and others, others will get in there. Um, this race has had perennial Republicans who've tried to win this without much success. It's interesting that Ms. Matori jumped from congressional race to congressional race. Um, some might say seeing opportunity. I don't know. It all may be tilting at windmills given the, given the makeup of this, but um, Republicans will have a couple of shots here in a, in a general election a uh, special general election on April 28th, having it the same day as the primary probably does favor the Democrats because a lot more Democrats are going to be coming out to vote in the primary on April 28th than Republicans will. So as far as the special election goes, um, and it'll be interesting to see if the person who holds the seat is someone different than the Democratic nominee for the November election, which is possible. How will that work? Anyway. So this is what I've got. We'll keep uh, we'll keep track of this. Uh, you can go. Uh, there's a link at redmaryland.com for the governor's writ of election, his press release about that, and all the details. If people are asking you what the dates are and how that works, uh, love to get your thoughts on this. Redmaryland at gmail.com. Tell me what you guys think. All right, folks. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the rise of Senator Bill Ferguson. A puff piece in the Baltimore Sun that probably reveals more than they intended. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. We'll be right back. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Red Maryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash Red Maryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Red Maryland. And thank you for your support. Hi, this is Greg Klein from RedMaryland.com. Since 2007, RedMaryland.com has been Maryland's leading conservative voice covering state and local politics in the old line state. We provide you with the inside scoop of what's happening across Maryland. Find out more at RedMaryland.com and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedMaryland. You can also listen to our podcast wherever you get podcasts by searching Red Maryland. And don't forget to check out the Red Maryland segment on WGMD every Thursday at 7.50 a.m. as part of the Mike Bradley in the Morning Show. Now go Terps! 
You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to RedMarylandConference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's RedMarylandConference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. Welcome back to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Flying solo tonight, your host, Greg Klein. Good to be with you here on All Hallows' Eve. Happy Reformation Day to all my uh, Protestant fans out there. You know who you are. <laughs> Let's change gears here a little bit. We talked about what's going on in the congressional election to replace Elijah Cummings. Let's Let's go back to something that was the big issue last week. Of course, we talked at length about Mike Miller announcing that he would step down as president of the Maryland State Senate. His his presumptive replacement, the unanimous choice of Maryland Senate Democrats, is Senator Bill Ferguson from Baltimore City. The story of his rise to that point, his position to replace Mike Miller something we hypothesized about, speculated even last week. Well, there was a bit of a puff piece here in the Baltimore Sun that I'm going to relate to you here in a second, excuse me, that details some of this. Now, what's interesting about this is this is the history that the Democrats and the Baltimore Sun want to write on this. And I think they reveal something something very interesting about what we can expect going forward. This is a piece from Luke Broadwater. There's a link at our show page, redmaryland.com. How a young Baltimore legislator became the Democrats' pick to lead the Maryland Senate. Less than a month ago, a behind-the-scenes race to become the next president of the Maryland Senate was deadlocked. Four prominent senators who had declared their candidacies behind the scenes. Second time they said behind the scenes. We get it. It was behind the scenes. We didn't know about it. We're unable to gain a consensus on who should succeed the powerful Thomas V. Mike Miller, a state political legend who has led the Senate for more than three decades, but is suffering from cancer and considering stepping aside. Of course, he did step aside. 
That's when Senator Dolores Kelly intervened. The Baltimore County legislator, 83, is known as the dean of the Senate. She's also chairwoman of the Finance Committee. Kelly called Senator Bill Ferguson, a 36-year-old from Baltimore, and asked him to run. Ferguson, Kelly said, had the skills and the smarts for the job and shouldn't be discounted because of his age. His candidacy could break the deadlock, she argued. Ferguson, the second youngest member of the Senate, visited Kelly's Randallstown home one evening and talked until 10 p.m. I thought when I looked around that we needed some someone younger, someone bright. That's quite a compliment to the other guys running. Okay, someone bright. That's hilarious. Kelly recalled. I thought it would be good having a person who had budget experience and a legal background, a person who was more progressive. We met a couple of times at the House. Initially, he was a little reluctant to think that way. He wasn't overly ambitious. Yeah, right. Okay. The president of the Senate is one of the most powerful positions in Maryland government with the ability to appoint committee chairs and influence which legislation succeeds or fails. A more liberal state Senate president could mean progressive change coming more quickly to Maryland, while a more conservative president could block or slow the leftward shift of the Senate. Ferguson hasn't, hadn't offered his name as a candidate at first, but said the discussion with Kelly steeled his resolve to go for it. He wasn't ambitious. He didn't want to do it. He was reluctant to do it. You know, some people are born to greatness. Some have it thrust upon them. And Mr. Ferguson is telling this, this, uh, <laughs> this Cincinnati story almost of how he chose to do this. Give me a break. You, you don't think this guy wants to be the next Mike Miller? You don't think every single member of the state Senate wants to be president of the Senate, they all do. Trust me. Here's a quote from the aforementioned demure, unassuming Bill Ferguson. Quote, When the dean of the Senate approached me about being the best person to lead a team of senators through this transition, it made me consider the possibility in a way I wouldn't have previously. (laughs) In other words, uh, how I could win is probably what he's thinking. 20 days after Ferguson visited Kelly in a closed-door meeting in Annapolis, the young Baltimore lawmaker became the unanimous choice of Maryland's Democratic caucus to become the state's next Senate president. What brought about this historic vote was a whirlwind campaign in which Ferguson and a small team of supporters, including the influential Kelly, worked around the clock to shore up votes. Senators Douglas J.J. Peters and Paul Pinsky of Prince George's County, Gus Gazone of Howard County, and Nancy King of Montgomery County were already in the race, but none had garnered anywhere close to the 17 votes needed to win the caucus. Ferguson drove around the state to meet one-on-one with the other 27 of the state's 32 Democratic senators. He didn't promise committee seats. He didn't try to horse trade. He just laid out an argument for why he'd be the best Senate president and asked for their votes. (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right. Sure. I have a bridge to sell you. Looking at how Ferguson ran his race, Pinsky said he believed the Baltimore lawmaker would, quote, be, would be a, quote, transformational, not transactional leader of the Senate. Yeah, Paul Pinsky was happy to step aside. Give me a break. My theory of action has always been leading with values, Ferguson said. It's how I approach this race, and I believe it's what other senators responded to most effectively. 
It's not about where the Senate is today. It's about what we want to be moving forward. Okay, now there's more to this. You can read the whole thing. It's it's this mythology that they're building around Bill Ferguson that the Baltimore Sun is happy to slurp up and and you know rehash here. What's what comes through very clearly in this story, number one, is it completely removes the reality that there were deep divisions within the state Senate. Um, because, you know, he, Ferguson came in and convinced everybody he should be the guy. Right. And I think that I think what we're supposed to believe is that all that's gone now. Don't believe it for a second, folks. You, you really think Paul Pinsky and Peters and King and some of those folks aren't thinking the first time the guy makes a mistake thinking I could have done a better job. Come on. Now, they wanted to have a show of unity. What happened in the, in the House was a disaster, and they didn't want to repeat that in the state Senate. They wanted to come out unified, and they wanted to do everything in a smoke-filled back room or whatever they had. They don't, they don't, none of them smoke anymore, right? So it's you know some quinoa-filled back room or whatever it's supposed to be. So this is the mythology, and it's Bill Ferguson doesn't owe anybody anything. <laughs> the old ways of doing things, you know, that like like Mike Miller did for decades, that's gone. This is a man and this is the point. This is a man who is going to take the state senate hard left and he's going to lead ideologically. That's what's going to happen. Um the 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 undertone here is that it's a new day and the new day is uh an ideologically left-leaning, Democratic-led state Senate. Now, this is no surprise. We knew this about Bill Ferguson. We talked about this before. What this art, what this you know, what this mythology that Luke Broadwater is is conveying here on behalf of the uh, the Democrats in the Maryland Senate is kind of confirmation of where we're going. There's no talk of compromise. There's no talk of um, reasonableness. There's no talk of, uh, you know, staying in touch with uh, Maryland voters. There's no discussion of, you know, some, some rational understanding of why Governor Hogan is so popular and yet Democrats have super majorities. There's no talk of, of you know, um, what, what what has marked the state Senate over the last five years of the um, of the Hogan administration is that they have been somewhat more um, contemplative. They've moved somewhat slower. Uh, they haven't gone as as far as they can because they've had a narrower margin of error when it comes to particularly overriding gubernatorial vetoes. Now, the governor's plan in the 2018 election, we talked about it ad nauseum at the time, was to gain enough votes so that he could sustain his vetoes. Had he done that, we can see already myriad of examples of how the world would be a very different place. But the Republicans did pick up one seat. The only chamber in the Northeast United States, a state, state, uh, state legislative chamber where Republicans made gains, was in the Maryland Senate. They only need a couple, four Democratic uh, dissenters to sustain a gubernatorial veto. 
there are, and and there are people who aren't mentioned in this article, quite frankly, including Mike Miller's, um, you know, second in charge, who won a very close reelection by essentially running, saying she agreed with Governor Hogan on a lot of stuff. There are folks like that who are vulnerable, who are going to be pushed hard now by Bill Ferguson. Bill Ferguson isn't going to be looking out for these relatively speaking moderates, for these folks in in um, conservative leaning districts or Republican leaning districts or competitive general election districts. His approach is going to be ideological. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He's made no promises to anyone. If you believe the mythology. This is a recipe for what we talked about all along as somebody who's going to engender very deep divisions, I think, within the Democratic caucus, which is why this story is coming out right now. This story is telling the mythology that this guy was a unanimous candidate. He was he had consensus, owes nothing to anybody. He is he is the true chosen one from the dean of the Senate to lead. And (laughs) it glosses over the fact something we've talked about for years. There is there is a civil war going in with going on within the Maryland Democratic Party. It has not ceased. What's going on with Kerwin and we'll talk about it next uh, in the next segment and we'll keep talking about it. We talked about it for years. What's coming down the train is the biggest, hardest, most knockdown, drag out fight of the Hogan administration. And that is tens of billions of dollars in new spending that will absolutely mandate huge tax increases. And the governor absolutely will not go along with it. And Bill Ferguson is not a guy who's looking for a compromise on this. He's expecting his senators to go lockstep, to move hard left, to move this thing as fast and as fully as possible. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to be. He's not going to be reasonable. He's not going to be, uh, um, you know, pragmatic. There's no talk of pragmatism. You read this article. There's no talk of him being pragmatic. In fact, there's lots of detail here. Lots of statements that he's anything but. He's not going to put the brakes on the way Mike Miller did. Which means if you're one of those Democratic state senators who's in a marginal district, who's almost certainly going to have to cut your throat to vote for these higher taxes. Why you don't you don't owe Bill Ferguson anything. Bill Ferguson doesn't owe you anything. There's no transit. Why are you going to vote to override a gubernatorial veto on this stuff? There, there are going to be divisions. The Democrats have the numbers. Can they force it through? And it's all going to fall on the shoulders of about a half a dozen Senate Democrats who were kind of cajoled into supporting Bill Ferguson in the name of party loyalty, who supposedly have been promised nothing to do it, who are going to be left out to dry. And the question is going to be, politically, can Larry Hogan convince them to go with him. He's got the carrots of redistricting to throw out. He's got lots of other things he can throw their way. Or is Bill Ferguson going to be the leader in the state Senate that can force these people to make the tough votes, 
the heavy lift, the profiles encourage necessary as Democrats see the world to ramrod through huge spending increases and and mandated tax increases to go along with them because that's what it's going to take. I think when you read this, it's pretty clear that, you know, Mike Miller could get this done. Mike Miller could find the compromise here. Mike Miller could shepherd this through and get something done. Bill Ferguson is is confrontational. Bill Ferguson's going to have to find a compromise. When when Bill Ferguson talks about compromise, he's talking about within his caucus. <clears throat> Bill Ferguson and Adrian Jones and the hard left Democrats who are now firmly in control, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Maryland General Assembly are not looking to compromise with the governor. They they're going to they're going to harangue the governor for not being bipartisan on this. Remember, what the biggest trap that Maryland Democrats have set for Larry Hogan, the trap that they got Bob Ehrlich to fall into is to raise taxes. The Democrats have been trying to get Larry Hogan to go along with a tax increase for years. He has opposed them. He is opposing them now. Larry Hogan, whatever else you want to say about his conservative bona fides, the number one defining conservative characteristic of Larry Hogan, the the most powerful issue that Maryland Republicans have and will always give them an advantage in elections, the the issue that, that goes across the aisle to moderate conservative Democrats to independents is a steadfast opposition to higher taxes and a fiscal conservatism and a fiscal approach to governance that can allow taxes to stay the same, if not go down. That's what Larry Hogan, as governor, with the system that we have, has been able to do. That's why Larry Hogan has high 60, low 70% approval ratings. That's why he's one of the most popular governors in the country, fundamentally. Forget about what he says about the president. Forget about any other issue. Forget about social issues or tribal issues. He's opposed to higher taxes. He's been able to, to uh, fund the government, to fund our priorities, including public education, without raising taxes and, in fact, cutting them. Despite all the Democratic attempts to, to force mandated spending on him, to tie his hands through mandated spending, he's been able to defeat them every single time. It's why he got elected by an 11-point margin in a year that Republicans did horribly. This is the defining issue. And the Democrats now are exposing themselves once again with with regard to Kerwin as a tax-and-spend party. That is who they are. That is their Achilles heel. Now, Mike Miller understands that. Mike Miller understands that's the limit we're coming up against. Bill Ferguson doesn't care about that. He sees the numbers and because of hyperpartisan redistricting, really believes the hype that most Marylanders are aligned to where the, the General Assembly is. He ignores the fact that most that a general electorate that isn't gerrymandered is more aligned with Governor Hogan. And what we're going to get going forward, and I think the, the, this, this mythology kind of confirms that is we're going to get confrontation. And I think ultimately the Democrats are going to be very disappointed at what happens 
whether they whether they even if they succeed in getting Kerwin pass over the governor's veto, it will be a Pyrrhic victory. Let's take a break, come back and I'll share with you what our friends at MPPI MPPI think about um, <laughs> think about Kerwin. It's going to sound real familiar if you're a fan of Red Maryland. Hang in there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Did you know Red Maryland was on Patreon? By supporting Red Maryland on Patreon, not only do you support Red Maryland's efforts to grow the conservative movement here in Maryland, but you're going to get access to premium content, meet and greets, cool bumper stickers, and more. To support Red Maryland on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash redmaryland. Even $1 a month will help us grow the conservative movement in our state. And every dollar goes back into growing Red Maryland. That's patreon.com slash redmaryland. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash redmaryland. And thank you for your support. Hi, this is Greg Klein from RedMaryland.com. Since 2007, RedMaryland.com has been Maryland's leading conservative voice covering state and local politics in the old line state. We provide you with the inside scoop of what's happening across Maryland. Find out more at RedMaryland.com and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedMaryland. You can also listen to our podcast wherever you get podcasts by searching Red Maryland. And don't forget to check out the Red Maryland segment on WGMD every Thursday at 7.50 a.m. as part of the Mike Bradley in the Morning Show. Now go Terps! You are invited to the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference, which comes at you on Saturday, January the 11th, 2020, from the Doubletree Hotel in Annapolis. Join us as we hear guest speakers, including Commerce Secretary Kelly Schultz, Delegate Kathy Shalega, Doug Mayer from the 2018 Hogan for Governor campaign, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers from WBAL Radio, Maria Sophia, the chair of the Maryland Young Republicans, Ian Patrick Hines, Rory McShane, and a host of other fantastic speakers. This conference will help prepare the groundwork for your next election success and the success of conservatism across the state. Tickets are on sale now. The conference sold out in 2019, so you are not going to want to miss out on buying your tickets today. Go to RedMarylandConference.com to learn how to buy your ticket, your sponsorship, or your vendor table. That's RedMarylandConference.com. Go buy your tickets today for the 2020 Red Maryland Leadership Conference. Back here on Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Happy Halloween to everybody. A little ACDC Highway to Hell. A lot of our evangelical friends think that celebrating Halloween is a celebration of Satan. So who am I to argue? Anyway, that's not why you're here. Let's talk about Kerwin. I talked about uh, Bill Ferguson, the fight that's coming in the General Assembly, the issue that will be defining the 2020 General Assembly session. Frankly, the issue outside of redistricting that I believe will define the Hogan legacy will be Kerwin. The effort by Democrats through the uh, Kerwin Commission and the proposals being put forward to spend 
tens of billions of dollars that we don't have on K through 12 education, the massive bloating of state spending that it will that it will uh, cause, and the necessity for tax increases after five years of tax uh, of tax clemency under the Hogan administration. In fact, some tax relief during that time period. That is the defining issue. The, the Democrats are the party of tax and spend. The Republicans, led by Larry Hogan, are the party of, if nothing else, opposing higher taxes and looking for ways for tax relief and to grow the private economy. That is the defining issue. And frankly, if that's the debate in Maryland, if that's the, if that's the differences between the parties, if that's where we stake it out, Republicans are going to do really well come 2022. Those are issues that we win on here in Maryland. And I know a lot of you don't want to don't care about that. You live in your little bubbles. You're you're in your you're, you're in your federal world. You're in your you know um, you're, you're thinking about what's going on in Washington all the time. If we want to win as Republicans in Maryland, and I'm telling you, we do, because we've lost uh, many times, and it ain't good. The way that we can make things better is, is, is first, we have to win elections. This is something I think I have to harp on. Most of you listening to this and, and, and are supporters of Red Maryland get this. But many of you who may be joining us on Facebook, and God bless you, thanks for coming. Some of you get lost in your little bubble and you forget about this. Nothing can change unless you win elections. In Maryland, there are many more registered Democrats than Republicans. So we have to actually persuade independent voters and some open-minded Democrats to vote with us in order to win. The fact is, we can do that. We have done that. We've made great strides as a party in this state over the decades doing that. Okay? Since 2002, um, most of the governors in the state have been Republicans. We've, We've... destroyed the idea that Republicans can't win statewide in this state with Governor Hogan's reelection in a bad year for Republicans. It can be done. We have more seats in the state Senate than we've had in a century. Even with even with the difficult election we had in 2018, 2022 could be a real banner year. If we focus on issues such as opposing the tax and spend program of Maryland Democrats, which means opposing Kerwin, which means whatever the ultimate result, because yes, the Democrats have numbers in the General Assembly, but if Kerwin is a loser for the Democrats, even if they get it passed. And so I wanted to share this with you. This is from uh, posted at MarylandReporter.com. There's a link at our show page at RedMaryland.com on this. This is from Sean Kennedy, the Maryland Public Policy Institute. And by the way, if you're not Checking out what the folks at, the, at MPPI are doing, you should. Here's what Sean writes. The Kerwin Commission's real aim is hiking teacher pay by $3 billion a year, and it is why state teachers' unions so strongly back it. More teacher pay. Amen. Spot on. Kerwin aims at, quote, making teacher salaries more competitive with other professions. The teachers' union, whose membership and coffers would boom have even launched an expensive lobbying campaign to pressure political leaders to enact Kerwin's pay hikes. But Maryland's teachers are not underpaid. Yes, 
Some teachers who are paid on a seniority rather than a performance basis earn somewhat less than professionals with similar education and experience qualifications. But most are highly overpaid. In aggregate, when all compensation, benefits, leave, and job security is accounted for, the average teacher earns as much as 40% more than those in comparable private sector professions. Another false crisis that Kerwin's massive pay hike seeks to remedy is the quote-unquote teacher shortage, with many teachers allegedly fleeing the profession. This is belied by the facts. Under 10% of Maryland's teachers retired, quit, or were fired last year. Less than half the leave rates for similar professional jobs. And they left the profession at a much lower rate than teachers across the country. Maryland already spends a whopping 93 cents of every public K-12 education dollar on personnel. Not on instructional materials, facilities, or technology. That is the highest share by far in the country, and 11% higher than the U.S. average of 82%. Statewide, Maryland's per-pupil spending averages about $16,000 per student. But the state's economic and geographic diversity means district-level figures vary widely. Rural Talbot County spends very little compared to even the stingiest of states, while Baltimore City spends the third most, 17500 of the largest 100 districts nationwide, while ranking as the third worst in outcomes for all districts. Three other counties, Montgomery, Prince George's, and Howard, also rank in the top 10 for per-pupil spending nationally. If one adds the $5.3 billion in unfunded teacher retirement benefits for generous pensions and health care that Maryland school districts and state legislature fail to fund, the real cost of a public school student's instruction increases dramatically. Now, those figures are no matter to the teachers' unions and the educational bureaucracy who want $4 billion a year more by 2030 without meaningful governance or instructional reforms. To fund the new expenditures, Baltimore City would be required to double its district spending share. That would require hiking's Baltimore, hiking Baltimore's already burdensome property taxes on homeowners and businesses, driving them out of the city and further shrinking the tax base. Meanwhile, two recent polls by the University of Maryland uh, Washington Post and Goucher College suggest erroneously that Kerwin is a hit with the public. They claim to find that taxpayers are willing to pay higher taxes to improve public education, as if educational excellence can only be achieved through more spending. But both polls find that over three-quarters of state residents know nothing about Kerwin. 74% of Goucher's respondents say they support personally paying more in state taxes to improve education, but Goucher never asks how much. Dr. Cromer, you never asked how much. The Post poll introduces Kerwin's recommendations as, quote, major new programs aimed at improving Maryland's public school system. Even after such a leading prompt, only a small majority of Marylanders favor raising taxes, income taxes by even a quarter percent, which would fund only a tiny fraction of Kerwin's cost. While a majority opposes a half percent hike, by 2030, income taxes would have to rise by 40 percent four times the half percent increase offered in the Post poll. A 2018 poll conducted by Maryland Public Policy Institute found that 
When given a choice, voters overwhelmingly oppose more spending as the primary means of improving education. 72% agreed that, quote, to improve learning opportunities in public schools, policymakers should focus on reallocating resources more efficiently and effectively instead of continuously increasing the education budget. Marylanders, unsurprisingly, want better, high-quality schools on the cheap. The tough choices are simply being avoided by Kerwin's backers. The result would be cuts in other discretionary state and local spending or dramatic increases in income, property, and sales taxes. Since Kerwin's training, certification, and professional development programming have no consequences for poor-performing teachers or those who fail to improve, nothing will change in schools. With union protections and seniority-based pay scale, the rotten apples get the pay bump just the same as the beleaguered st- and the beleaguered students can expect no real benefit. But the teachers' windfall, higher salaries and plumped-up pensions will carry a dramatic cost. The Kerwin proposals will put the old line state into the red to the tune of $19 billion and increase the unfunded pension and health care liabilities owed by the state by billions more. Maryland taxpayers will continue to feel the burn for decades to come as these new pay and pension entitlements cannot easily be called back, unlike the necessary instructional or governance reforms, if those are ever enacted. Great piece by Sean Kennedy. Nails it. Nails it. The Democrats are relying on ignorance of what this requires to carry the day. And most of the media in this state, outside of Red Maryland, outside of what the folks at MPPI are doing, outside of a handful of talk radio stations, aren't, aren't talking about that, aren't honestly giving you the truth about this. That's why it's so important what we're doing. So share this. There's a link to this piece at redmaryland.com. Share this piece. Share what we're writing about. We've been writing about the Kerwin Commission for years. This is a union cash grab. That's what Mr. Kennedy says. Dead on. This is going to result in a lot of money going to the teachers' unions and their constituencies and no real improvement in outcomes will occur. That's its design, folks. It's political. And the Democrats are, are going to do what they do. And, and the governor, to his very great credit, is standing his ground, has drawn a line in the sand, has found a hill to die on. But the fact is, as Mr. Kennedy rightfully points out, when people actually know the truth... They're not going to be in favor of this. This Opposing Kerwin is good politics for Republicans. It's great politics for Republicans. Because when people realize what the cost actually is and what the benefit's actually going to be, they're going to balk at it. They're going to revolt at this just the way they did at the 40 tax and fee increases under Martin O'Malley. Kerwin is a perfect example it is the epitome of maryland democratic governance in maryland unsustainable spending growth higher taxes to pay off political special interests with a power structure that is reinforced 
and maintained through chicanery and gerrymandering. Republicans have broken that monopoly with the election and re-election of Larry Hogan. They've started to pick up seats. The redistricting could be a final break in that, and we could have real competitive politics in the state. But it begins and it ends and it continues with an absolutely firm opposition to the tax and spend um, policies of the Democrats as epitomized by the Kerwin proposal. And that is, for the coming years, the our raison d'etre here at Red Maryland. It is what we ought to be dedicated to as Maryland conservatives, as Maryland Republicans. Forget the noise in Washington. That's going to play itself out. The fact is, Maryland's not going to be a player in that at the end of the day, whatever happens. This is the fight that will define the state for a long time. This is a fight that we can win. So consider that. end of sermon all right let's uh let's wrap it up here um (laughs) thanks for listening by the way love to get your feedback on that do you agree with me am i right am i wrong contact us redmaryland at gmail.com good old-fashioned electronic mail we're on facebook facebook.com slash redmaryland we're on twitter at redmaryland instagram we're on twitch look for some new twitch stuff coming out I'll, i'll share that with you that's that's Probably not something you're into. That's a small percentage. I get it. But check it out. You can leave us an email or a text, 410. I'm sorry, a voicemail, excuse me, uh, or text at 410-205-4875. The number again, 410-205-4875. We'll share your comments on a future upcoming episode. We'd love to do that. We haven't been doing a lot. We've been getting voicemails and not sharing them but we do listen to all of them and we would love to hear from you we get it all we read it all all right let's change gears a little bit not only is it um halloween all hallows eve most of you will be listening to this perhaps not on thursday evening but later on in podcast form today is also reformation day so i will leave you in honor of reformation day with the reason for the season, if you will. This is a clip from the movie Luther. It is the famous, it is a recreation of the famous um, uh, speech from Martin Luther at the Dieta Worms. And then we'll play A Mighty Fortress, and then we'll be done. Thank you all for listening. I am Greg Klein. Hang in there. We will get there. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot, and I will not, 
recant. Here I stand. I can do no other.